Hey there, welcome to the More Civil Podcast. My name is Mo. I created this podcast as a resource for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them to share stories and processes and build community around important issues. On this show, you get to hear amazing stories from people like you who show us how to get more out of life. The stories featured on this platform are by people whose journey I'm inspired by, and most importantly, people who have been courageous and vulnerable to be open about their life stories. And I hope that in turn, you'll find these stories inspiring. Hello, everyone. Um, Welcome back to the show. You know you're kind of desperate when you start um, harassing your friends to come on the show and use them as your slot for your guest. Um, Today is no exception, but this is a wonderful friend of mine. Um, I met them in 2009, uh, 2010, they're about. Yeah, nine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was like 10 years ago. In yeah. um, the northern part of Nigeria, Jigawa State, did say to be specific, I had gone for NYSC um, for non-Nigerians. NYSC stands for National Youth Service Corps, and it's a one-year mandatory paramilitary exercise you're supposed to take part, uh, part, of, part take part in. And it, the idea was just to increase um, cultural, promote cultural awareness, and just taking people from one part of the country to another part of the country so they can get to know those places and also. To use a lot of um, skilled laborers in places where you normally don't have a lot of people go. So I went there for three weeks. It was a boot camp, and that was where I met um, Kenneth. I don't know how, when we exactly met, but I remember when we did that endurance trek, and we talked a lot. But um, I can't remember the specific time during camp when we met. But I think I remember when we met. But okay, Ooh. all right. Yeah, I think I remember. Um, okay. I think it was a Saturday. It was a Saturday morning, and you were serving food. Okay. And I got in line. And then you uh-huh. like and then you, I think you said something towards the effect of I don't remember your exact words, but something towards the effect of I haven't seen you before. What's your name? And I just said, Kenneth, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> I just want to get my food and go away. And then you and then you said to me, Huh, how old are you? Because I, I looked like a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, I don't I'm not gonna talk about that. So you're like, okay, where are you from? And I said I was from Lagos. And you're like, Oh, and you live in Lagos too, obviously. And then yeah. we just sort of like it's nice to see you. And then, like, that was not the first time we spoke. Oh I think gosh. afterwards you'd always sort of we would wave to each other and then we became sort of friends and then for the track we had like a long conversation. Yeah. I think I, I still have the picture of you and that from the track. You really yes, send it to me, do. please do. I, send it to you. I can't I find it. I can't. I can't find I, all my pictures. I, I, I have it. I have it somewhere. I have it somewhere here. I, I'll find it. I'll, I'll, I probably I'll, use, it I'll use it for the show. Um, whatever. Oh my gosh! I sounded like someone very rude asking about your age. No, 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 no. I, I, I don't think so. Many people ask my. I mean, I looked like I was twelve. Yes. I mean, you look. You, you always people, look younger than you than you than you are. <laughs> I mean, like, to me, I was pretty pictures. young then, though. I was yeah. pretty young then, and so. Uh, yeah, yeah, because I mean, to be fair, I, I mean, I, I can say this now, half in, half in jest. I, I was 19 when I went for NYC. I was, I was pretty young. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so I was a child. I mean, if I think about it now, I, I went to university half because, oh, I, I tried an exam for the first time and I passed. And I'm like, just go. And I went. Wow. So I was 19 when I came for NYC. So I was pretty young. So many people, trust me, you weren't the only one. Even like okay. the soldiers would ask me, how old are you? Like, Oh, I and see. I see. And you stood up because you're, you're quite fair. Like, your complexion is quite fair. <laughs> and we're in the north, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. Like doing camp. I, you, know, you know how you talk to some people, you're like, I can't even have a normal conversation with you. So when you find someone that has a strong and good command of the English language, and you can have, like, intellectually stimulating conversation with them in that bubble of a place called camp, 
yeah. like, yes, you know, please talk to me. Let's speak some, you know, let's talk some, let's just have a conversation. So I think that was yeah, it. And I, yeah. and I met people like you, like Bright Sparks, you know, in that camp. I did meet many people. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think I want to name names here, but there are people whom I met who, I, who I'm still friends with. And, and yeah, yeah, I, yes, I, have, yes. I have good friends from, from NYC. Some of them went to Unilag like you did too, but yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I have friends from, yeah. from um, in Canada. I went to Cano. I, went, I have friends from all over, even from the Middle Belt, you know, that we met there. I think with the, the, what brought us together was just... Like, ah, man, people don't realize that this is like a bubble. We're going to live here soon. Like, let's have real conversations. And, and that was it. You know, we talked about stuff. We didn't like, like, the artificial environment of camp, like, get the best of us. And someone just made, like, a do or die affair. And I'm like, no, there's life after this. And I, I wasn't going to stay back in Jigawa anyway. So I knew that. So I just used oh, yeah. to meet people. Because I like meeting people huh. from different places. And I think that's the beauty of NYSC. Um, program if they really keep making it that way but now it's like you know get into political but anyways um this is kenneth my friend um he goes by another name in yeriba and i don't know if i'm saying that well this is your girl it's butchering no that's good enough that's good enough. how, how do yeah, you say I, it <laughs> in yeriba in oh what does that mean in yeriba so it's um i mean i don't know so a little, a little backstory about my name it's not my name it's my used to be my father's name and, oh. and, and it just means so it's, it's a shortened form of um, the Igbo man in me has to start, now say the whole lot. The whole name is Enyeribe Nyemonyege name. But um, what, what it really means is if it had been given to others to give to me, no one would give it to me. So it sort of means like a good thing, a, a thing set apart. If it had been given to other people to give to me, like no one would give me such good things. Oh, wow. But, so there's a responsibility but, but, but for you to keep, it, to keep it going, really? I, I'm, I'm trying my best. I mean, <laughs> no pressure there, name, right? So. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I'm trying my best. But yeah, it, it is wow. my father's name. And so I just... Um, yeah, but it's a nice, yeah, yeah. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> I call him Kenneth, and Kenneth um, Ibeguan. He was brought up in Lagos, Nigeria, and he's a finalist for the Commonwealth Short Story Prize and recipient of the Kimbilial Fellowship. He has received grants from the Vermont Studio Center and the Elizabeth George Foundation. His fiction has appeared or is forthcoming in Auburn Avenue, Prairie Journal Magazine, and the Southampton Review. He has he has been awarded the Pen Robert J. Dow Short Story Prize. He currently lives in Kansas City, Missouri. And everyone, join me welcoming Kenneth to the show. Thank you, right. thank you, Tony. <laughs> Let's start. Um, what part of you said you grew up in Lagos, right? What, what was growing up like for you? Tell us a little bit about your family dynamic. What that was like. So, um, I mean, I, I I grew up in Lagos, and I, I how how I can put it is I grew up in sort of. Just an interestingly boring Nigerian home. I grew up in, so, so my parents, at the time we lived in Surulere, Lagos. So my parents, I grew up in Surulere, Lagos. I had my siblings and I. So it was a pretty sort of regular family. My my both parents had like jobs and worked for the government. And my mom still does now. But um, but it's sort of, you know, average Nigerian middle class, middle class Nigerian home. Just uh-huh. decently. I, I guess I, I grew up, I, I think a way I could put it is, even my middle classness was a bubble in a way because I I grew up I mean, as a child when a when a bacha was president was was head of state a bacha for those who don't know sort of who oh, was this Nigerian dictator I grew up then but I I had no idea he was a dictator I didn't know he, I didn't know he was a bad person so maybe that sort of gives a light of how my childhood was I, I grew up in a bubble yeah, so that makes any sense. <laughs> no I grew up in a bubble my my parents were like we the way I think I, I would put it is. We had everything we needed. <laughs> yes, oh. so I grew up. I grew up in Lagos, and um, I, 
I lived in Lagos until until I was old enough to make my own decisions. Yes. Okay. All right. So, do you have siblings? Yeah, I have. I do have siblings. Um, so I grew up. I have um, I have a little sister who just finished um, university now in Nigeria. And... She's not little anymore, then. <laughs> yeah, I know she's not. I know, right? But I mean, when I think of her age and my age, it's like she's still little to me. But, but she's not little anymore. And then I have a brother who. Who until recently he lives in Lagos now, so he okay. works in Lagos and um yeah, I, I do have those and so you're the first one you have to Yes, I'm I am the uh, oldest, I have two siblings. Uh, yeah. okay. okay. And then I also have my mother who who lives in Lagos too. But, but I mean she's uh, she comes around too, but yeah, Lagos is her sort of primary resident. Uh and I'm sorry to hear but I know you've told me before, but for this just to mention that, you know, um how long did you die that die? How long ago? So my, my my father passed the year before we met. Yeah. My, oh really? My passed the year before we met. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so it's it's been oh. a while now. Yeah. Oh wow. It's been um, we've sort of powered through and yeah, it's it's um, I mean every time you remember it, it's fresh. But yeah, but that's how grief is for many grief is for many people. Wow. But yeah. But um, so what what um what would you how would you describe your first childhood memory like? One that you think is still idyllic, or that probably sums up your childhood as a whole. I think if if I had to, so my, so I, I grew up in a kind of I would say I have a, a two fam a, a two team family in the sense that my, my my father loved, and I think that's why I get my sort of my interest and love for books. My father loved to read a lot, and so as a boy, he would I, I my my earliest memory was from reading. I, I I was thinking the other day, and I was saying to myself. I cannot remember a time when I couldn't read. I, I don't mean sort of like read fluently. I just mean maybe try to pronounce words. words for yeah. Or like you, know, you grew up in Lagos also. Um, sort That's of, so true. I can say that all myself. I, I never I, really I, I cannot remember a time. Yeah, I mean <gasps> sort of. And so maybe my, my, my mom was driving us in Lagos, sort of Lagos serpentine traffic, and you're going, <laughs> you're, reading, you're reading what's in the billboard. Yeah, and and then you and maybe I pronounce it wrong, and my mom goes, "That's not what it is. It's you know, it's maybe yeah. Johnson. It's not Joseph, something yeah. like that." You know, so I couldn't remember a time when I couldn't do that, and 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 I, I would say it was largely because of my father. Oh, wow. my father was sort of very shrewd about sort of academics, and and, and not just any academic, but reading in particular. And so when I was a boy, my father, you, my father could um. Which something I can't do very my father could recite poems from memory, as for instance, and then he talk do about that. I rely on Google for that. And, <laughs> and I can give you the premise. <laughs> I, I, I can't do it myself. My father could and and so I I can't remember a time when, you know, he, he didn't think that way. Like mm-hmm. I that's why that's how I knew him. And then, and I and, and so things like so it was really I mean my if I had to sum up my childhood memories it would be books and television I, I mean I mm. watched I think as a, now I I almost resent television <laughs> I haven't owned one for the past two years <laughs> you're not so, missing anything as long as I you know, can stream on Netflix that's okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I watched too much television as a child, but, but books too. Because my, my father, and I remember even when I was maybe eight, we would read a book together. He would tell me to read something and I would read it. And then he would say, what do you think? And I would say, oh, I think it's just good. And he goes, no, no, read it again. Wow. And so, and like so, use like, words to describe, not just say good. Yeah, yeah read it again. And then wow. somebody whom I know is not very sort of highly liked now, at least in, in our culture now is... Um, Roger Kipling. I, I I loved. I don't know if you sort of know. Oh, yeah, Kipling, yeah, Kipling is yeah, the Jungle Kipling, Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jungle Book, and my father yeah. would make you read it again and again. Oh and my again. gosh! And, and 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 Kipling has. I recently 
not, not recently, a few, a few months ago, I bought a, a book of all his poems on, 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 online. And um, I, I was going through the ones I remember my father used to recite to me. And Kipling, in the least, is, if you look at him objectively, at least he was in some ways a bigot. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of, I mean, most of the, the writers, they would, they would yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, the way he thought about black people. But, but, but then, it's, at the same time, it's like, oh, if you, if, if you read other things, it's like, this is a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a very sort of popular poem of his, which is called If. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, that people, one, the, the Man yeah, Who Be King. I think I remember reading that one. Which one? The Man Who Be King. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah short, it's a short story, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead with some, some I haven't read If before. If is a if is a poem, and, and I think there's a line that says, um, "If you can meet with triumph and disaster and, tr- and treat those two imposters just the same." I mean, it, it, I think <laughs> that's a very well quoted poem of his. But I, uh... by the time I was ten, I could I could recite that poem because my father, and also we grew up Catholic, and if I failed, uh... so my father would do this thing where he would call you out, and I used to be a terribly shy child, and he would call me out when my cousins came out, and he would say to me, "No, so my name is Kenneth, my my, my birth name, and his name is Kenneth too." And so he would uh, say to me, Junior, come out and give us a rendition of this poem. And, oh my and gosh. I was, terribly, and I was terribly, I was sort of shaking and I was, I was terribly shy. I was terribly shy as a child. I couldn't look. And he would say, give us a rendition. And I would do it. And he would say, you see? And he would clap about it. Uh, yeah, my father was, so, so that's my childhood. Sort of, um, what do you think about a book? And even after I went to, um, I mean, this is much more my teenage age now. When, when I went to university, I was I was what, I was fifteen when I went to university and because I remember having my birthday. At That's quite young, though. You know that, right? Well, that was my mother. My mother's doing so. My mother, my mother is she's just a, a different Nigerian character. My mother had this vision of they're going to get it done very quickly, and I, I, I make I, I joke with my mom now. I say to her, if I had been raised by just my mother, I'd probably be a doctor now because she has a Nigerian <laughs> parent. Like if you're pretty bright, I mean, you know this already. I know. Engineer, doctor, and nothing like else. A doctor, an engineer, nothing else. My mom would say to me as a boy, like, you're going to become a doctor. And my father would say to me, no, 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 that's a waste of time. Like, you're going to be a, a lawyer. And, and, <laughs> and <laughs> I was, um, I, 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 had I, was, I was going man. through, <laughs> they both had different agendas. I was yeah. going through, um, sort of, rather my mom brought um, sort of a pile of my, of my secondary school sort of um, results and everything and essays we wrote. And obviously, I don't know how you know, but in Lagos, you know, JS3, you write an essay of what you want to become. Then uh-huh. you pick a path, like science path or whatever. I wrote an essay and mine was, mine was I want to be a, a doctor and a lawyer. Oh. And I remember because my both parents had to be called in. And <laughs> they had to sort of have a meeting with the, sort of the deputy principal and say, oh, he cannot do both. He has to pick a path. What secondary school, yeah. school did he go? So I went to Jubilee College. It's a, it's a boarding school in Badagri, okay. in Lagos. Okay. And so I had to pick a path. But 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 that's how I. That's really how I grew up. And so I grew up uh, very sort of. My father was very into books, and then also very not religious, but sort of Catholic. I mean, obviously Catholic. We had the, we had a, we had the. Um, we still do now. My mom still has one. The author of this of of, of the Infant Jesus Society in my mom's house in Lagos. So so we grew up sort of overtly Catholic. We went to mass and yeah, I received communion when I was old enough to, you know, sort of I followed that path. Yeah. That's how I grew up. And what university And now you know this now. If you ask me if you ask me one question I, I can go on and on. So please Oh, it's okay. Me. It's always nice just hearing you talk because you, you 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 share such nice stories. Um and what did you study in in college? 
So I went to university and I studied um, information science, which was which is a boring way to just sort of say I studied mass communication or something <laughs> like that. It's, it's just just a much more interesting way. And I, I didn't really care much for it. I was like I said, I was a, I was a teenager. I was didn't know what I was doing. I didn't. And then when I was done, I was like, okay, what do I want to do with my life now? Because I'm not going to go to law school. Although that was almost in the cards also to sort of now trying to go to law school, at least in the US here or something. But I was like, I don't want to spend what three years there. I'd be old. I'll be. I'd be probably being dead and I would be pissed and so I didn't do that. So I went to university oh. and studied information science and then I went to Georgetown again and then I went I studied technology management in Georgetown. Oh, so you've been here since 2010 11 Yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cuz I remember when you, I, I think I remember when you probably came before me cuz I came in 2011 or so. Anyway. Oh yeah, I I think I I think I remember when you came because I was I was already living in Maryland then. Yes, yes, and then, yeah, I think you contacted me on Facebook like, "Hello, and yeah, was, yeah, oh, you're here, yeah, yes, um, I <laughs> yeah." Um, so I mean, I mean, it's safe to assume that this is like your second home now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I consider my I consider here to be my home too. Oh, even yeah. home, yeah. Like, I just I was trying to play it safe. I don't be like, well, so I'm like, no. well, after all, Nigeria is your first home. But anyways, you've made you've made life here, and this is it for you now. Um, what has it been like? I'm curious, you know. In terms of just your experience, I mean. Um, well, sorry. Go yeah, on. yeah. Go ahead. No, just your experience well, of uh, adjusting, adaptation, and all of that. It's been interesting though, because you know, I mean, this is probably similar for you too. Although I, I, I can't speak for you. But you, you sort of come here and you're like, what, you're a teenager, you don't know what's going on. And then you get um, you get sort of identities imposed on you as a person who is black. black. And then you sort of take up that identity. And then, I mean, I think mine's like a double yoke because you're black and then you're a male. It's like a black oh, man. Mm. And, and there are some assumptions that come with it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is just me as a single person, a singular person of making an observation about a, a vast country, which is not fair, but, but um, there, there's some assumptions that people think, oh, you know, you, you, you seem a little different, but you're still black. And, and when you come here as somebody who's like a sort of a pseudo teenager, I mean, in many ways, who doesn't even have a fully formed frontal cortex, yeah. you say to yourself, like, I'm not all those things. I'm just, you know, I'm just myself. Like, I don't, I don't care what people are doing. And so it's, and I, I say this very carefully. You, you in many ways want to. You don't want to be part of any, of any block of people. So you don't identify, for instance, as, as a black person. Mm. And maybe that's also the privilege of coming from Nigeria, where that's racially homogeneous. I was saying that, yeah. It's like okay, everybody's black, and so why does my being black mean anything special? And we now? do have tribal lines dividing us, but the race construct is like it throws you off. Like, uh, like it's not we we. So for the most part, you don't have to mix if you don't want to mix. And by mix, I mean like Yorubas are, you know, condensed in one particular area. Igbos are, you know, geographically speaking, we have some lines. But Lagos is like that place that kind of binds everybody together. But race is not something that is programmed into our heads. And it's not woven into the fabric of our lives as Nigerians. Now we have tribal lines, which is totally different. And so I get your point of, you know, when you come to the U.S., it's like, okay, I'm black now, but I'm evil. And, you know, I have your friends and, you know, but it's like, no, you're a black man right now. And that's like, okay, I need to sit down and understand what this means. But sometimes I don't even get that opportunity to like reflect and be like, what does this mean? And how am I supposed to behave? How am I supposed to react when something's happened? You know? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said now. And I think especially if you're, if you're a young person, it's, mm. it's slightly confusing. I mean, I, I remember being sort of jaded uh, as a young person. I mean, I'm, still, I'm not yet old, but I remember being jaded. I kept thinking, like, what's, I mean, what's going on? In, Lego, in Nigeria, for instance, I, I knew, okay, this is, I mean, I, we had other sort of identifiers. I'm, 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 a, I'm a Christian. I, I, I am I'm Igbo. I can speak Igbo. I can know sort of other things. But we didn't have like race. Like race wasn't a construct for us. And, and so, and so for me, it, it, it was more of a. I, it took me a while to sort of identify as, or sort of, have any allegiance. Because also, I, I think, I mean we don't talk much about, not just we being all of us in general, don't talk much about this, but the moment you come here, suddenly everybody who's, who's from Africa or, or who is from like the Caribbean or who is even black, suddenly your brother or your sister, <laughs> like, like, like there's some, some, some kind of solidarity. Yeah. And you have to say to yourself, wait, when do we become like my brother? Like you're from Jamaica. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. What are you talking about? So, I mean, and this is somebody who's like, what a teenager? Like, wait, how do oh yeah, become, and you're already going through that. Whatever teenager, you know. Would, yeah, yeah, yeah. On top of so that, like, yeah. how do we become friends? Uh, how do we be, not just friends, but like comrades, my brother, comrades. Like, no, 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 yeah. I mean, comrades is quite a, quite being generous. Oh it's, brother, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I lived in DC the long. I mean, when I first moved here, the longest and everything. And you'd walk on the street and black people would say to you, sort of black brother. people, not just black Americans, but black people. They're like, hey, hey, brother, or they'll give you. I mean. I don't know how it works because you're, you're a woman, so maybe yours is different, but they give you a nod or a look. Like when you're walking on the sidewalk, you can see those things and you think, I don't know who the heck you are, but okay, why are you looking at me like that? And so it's, it's a kind of solidarity and oneness. And it's weird because the moment you, um, so if you go to a Nigerian party, you see people who are from, who are maybe like Yorubas and Igbos and they're like, oh, my brother, we're happy together. And we sort of, chocolate and everything but I, I always think to myself the moment we get off the plane at, at the airport in lagos am i your brother still i said i was about I saying that know. would you see somebody yeah. in nigeria on the street in lagos and be like oh, brother, think, oh my brother yeah. it's like yeah. no it's like yeah. I'm, I'm trying to yeah. survive in lagos i don't want to have any brothers again i, I know where all my brothers are i, I have yeah. maybe five of them i know where they are <laughs> that kind of a thing but yeah so so for me it was um i mean i I quarreled with it a lot, the point of my identity, in the sense that I quarreled with, like, who gets to tell me that I'm a black person? I mean, I, and I, and I said that only because I, like, when you come from where we come from, which is where you come from also, it's, like, we're black, and that's, that's, not, that's not a point. Like, it's, if I said Everybody's to people black. in Lagos, for instance, <laughs> exactly, if I said to people in Lagos, for instance, I'm black, they'd be like, okay, so what? So what? Like, what does that mean that you're black? Like, does I know. Like, and I think the UK is similar. They don't understand the concept of black and white. Which I think it's also because the UK, I mean, I, as someone who has family, then I, I sort of visit there too. I think it's also because the UK is very subtle about it. I mean, yeah, they, they don't talk yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, like, but it's, like, it's like still the there. Do. Maybe that's the wrong example. Yeah, but I... I no, 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 it's not the wrong example. I think it's just... It's just a, a different way of seeing it. I mean, because, I mean, the UK, the black people there. I mean, the, the thing about being a black person also is, like, you're a visible minority. Oh. Yeah, like, 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 you're, like you're physically visible. Like, so if I put two black people in the, with, like, 17 Koreans, like, you, I can pick the black people out. Mm, like, course, like yeah. we're, we're, physically, we're, we're physically obvious. And so, 
And so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I sort of think about it. But anyway, in my own case, I, I kept thinking like, no, I, I'm just a person. No, I'm, I'm a Nigerian. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm Catholic. I'm this. I, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you quell it in some ways. I, I can tell a few sort of a, a funny story. Many years ago, um, I was I was dating somebody who um, who, who was who was Black American. And she, I know we were sort of getting to know each other and we're hanging out. And um, on a Sunday, I, I went to church and I came back and I said, I went to mass. And she goes, what is that? And I go, it's church. And she goes, and she said to me, and this is somebody who at the time she was, um, she, I mean, she was working and she was everything. She was a nice, nice, nice fellow. She said something to me towards the effect of, I don't know any Catholics, only black people who are Catholic. She had never seen any. I mean, she grew up sort of traditional Black American, sort of Protestant, oh, Baptist. Baptist. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's all she knew. And she didn't uh, know many people who were Black, who were Catholic. Uh, wow. And, and I mean, I couldn't fault her at the time I lived in D.C. We went to a parish, a small parish in, in the D.C. area. And there were like maybe five of us who were in the whole parish who were Black uh, like for Mass. So, I can, so, so it's also things like that. So it's all things like, oh, you're, you're Black and you're probably you know, Protestant. Um, which which is not I, which which, 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 which is not here, yeah, yeah yeah Southern yeah. Baptist you know yeah so um I I mean for many times I I sort of I mean I I would say I resisted I I just didn't take up any identity I just of myself as a um, regular guy you know do my work <laughs> and make sure I wash my teeth every every yeah. day and just you know, just yeah. mind my own business but then I think after a while you sort of read it. At least read about um, black Americans, the struggles and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And then you sort of, you sort of say to yourself. I mean, at least in my own my own case, I sort of said to myself, "Well, there's some things I can do now because of people who didn't know me." That's it. Who 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 paved the way for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who sort of did that? And and, and obviously, for me, it was really the books that I read. And I I thought this happened, and no, this kind of things happened, and and so. It helps. It sort of builds, um, sort of builds understanding. It builds an understanding and yeah, the yeah. worldview. And yeah. so now, I I happily, very happily, happily identify as you know a black person, and, and and I mean a black person. But even at the same time, I delineated I, African. Well, yes, but I also, I mean, if I had to make up a hierarchy of blackness in America, for instance, black mm-hmm. Americans would be at the top of it, which I, I don't think anybody cares. But if I had to make up a hierarchy. <laughs> Black Americans, Black Americans are at the top of it because yeah. they're the ones who are really, I mean, who sort of really, I mean, to put it very mildly, who, whose ancestors put their bodies on the line for what many of us literally, <laughs> and, and then it sort of it saddens me that some of them still many they don't get don't, they don't get benefit from, from they don't benefit from that. Yeah, yeah, they don't have all the privilege that comes with it. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, and I, I agree with you. Own. I agree with you. I I had that um, epiphany too, like. Because I couldn't, I, I didn't understand the struggles. And growing up in Nigeria, I already had this stereotype about black people, you know? Okay. And from the movies you watched. And so moving here was just like, hmm, you know? And all of a sudden, you're supposed to be black. And of course, you know, being the African, um, this African air you have, like, you know, you don't even want them to compare it to be a Ghanaian. Like, if you're Nigerian, like, you know, <laughs> I know I'm Nigerian, not Ghanaian, get it right, yeah. you know? And but in talking to my you know black American friends and also reading the books and like you and just listening more and more, and I realized that that was what was missing like we we just fed what the media told us about them, 
but we really never got it from the original sources. You know, what they had to go through because if they didn't pave the way for us, I probably wouldn't be here. And I got, you know, I went to, I went to grad school here and we, I mean, there's some issues in, in, in grad school in that in my pro, well, not my program specifically, but you had not many black people were doing like PhD programs. And so a lot of Africans feel that spot for the color wheel for diversity. And, and so I see that as a privilege because, you know, um, being able to at least go to a good school in Nigeria and, rise up the top in such a way that I could qualify for a good school here. I mean, that's something. Most people, even that were born Americans, they don't have that privilege. So I've had to acknowledge that even though sometimes it's, it, it, it's when you talk about it, like, you know, being a Nigerian comes with privilege, we don't even see that as Nigerians, but we do have that privilege. And I think that when it comes to like cultural identification, that is where sometimes we can help a lot of black Americans feel that sense of home. Because a lot of them want to connect to Africa as a whole, but they don't know how. And if we're reading the books and learning more about their culture, we can also teach them about the concept of home. Hey, what's even saying we cannot even invite them, you know, to come over and see where we live in whatever. I think Ghana is already doing that now. I think yes. Ghana lets them get like I think, uh, uh, I think black Americans get citizenship. Citizenship, I yeah. I don't know. I think they yeah. paused it for a while. I know some people. Oh, they have. Oh, I, I don't know. I think the last time I heard it was paused for a while. But I've, I've I've watched videos of couples that went there and they've been living there for thirty years and never went back. I think that's a fantastic idea because we need to build the motherland and we need to build. Africa. I don't disagree with you, but I think that I'm. I, I don't know how we can do it by sort of fiat and say to people, sort of go back and go see for yourself. I think, and this is one, again, my singular observation, I think the thing that's been most potent has been love. I mean, that's not very cliche, mm. but no, I think no, but it, it tends to be when people marry sort of Africans. Ah, they, they get a sense find yourself of a friends. Nigerian I mean, man. Own, <laughs> <laughs> or, or a Nigerian woman. For, I don't, I don't, <laughs> in my own sense of, of observation, I, and I think I, I, this is someone who lived in D.C. This is very sort of metro. Eclectic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was much more of, oh, he meets a girl from Georgia and they meet in D.C. They get married and she, they go back to Nigeria. You see how she wants to have, oh, her children have like Nigerian names and they want to have a house in Nigeria. They want to, a sort of, it makes them feel a sense of, I, 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 I know of a couple who actually, the, the woman took up an Nigerian citizenship. This is a black American woman who, like, what does she need an Nigerian citizenship of? She took up one. And so I think, in my own understanding, it's mostly love, so marriage, companionship, that makes people sort of say, I, I want to be part of this. I mean, the Ghanaian government can do all they want to do, and that's generous. Like, I don't think that people can sort of go back in mass. Like, something has to... Something has to, how I look at it, something has to tie you a to bigger it. Like, yeah, a bigger something has pool. to tie you. So marriage could be the thing. Children could be the thing. Love could be the thing. Because, mm. I mean, none of people want. So, so, so that's how I, I look at it. Yeah. That's another angle. And I, I mean, I think that the, the many parts we have, because some, some might never want to get married. Some might never yeah, want to have kids. So we could have those options, like different um, platforms, like Go. We could have cultural exchange programs where, you know, swap a family across the world. And um, and I think as a Nigerian, I came with that privilege of I knew where my home was. I could locate it on the GPS. Like I knew Africa wasn't just you know Africa. It wasn't. I didn't even think of Africa. I thought of myself as a, a Lagosian. You know, as, as, as yeah, even like, like Nigerian, like proudly Lagosian. You know, I knew where my father's father's heart you know was built. A lot of African Americans they don't have that. You know, they do have the skin color that tells them of a story. They have sometimes a name that sounds like that. But a lot of the, the substance, the, the, the foundation is missing. 
I think that's where Africans that you know Africans can I mean when I say Africans I mean those that live in Africa and are, you know mm-hmm. we're all from Africa we're all descended from from Africa or Caribbean whatever we can you know step in and fill in that gap you know but anyways um I would agree with that I mean I, I think a sense of um, a sense of place is something that just that can come to you Do you know that podcast is going mainstream and that there are many people all over the world listening to podcasts daily? For example, in the US alone, one in every three persons listen to at least one podcast every month. Well, that's a lot of people. Do you also know that podcast listeners tend to be more loyal, affluent, and educated? Speaking of these retro qualities, did you also know that on a monthly basis, thousands of people all over the world listen to the Mossable podcast? Hmm. Well, do you have a business, service, event, or product you'd love loyal, affluent, and educated listeners to hear about? Then look no further. To promote your services on the podcast, send an email to talktomo at mossible.com today. Or you can visit our website at www.mossible.com. That is www.mossibyl.com. Anyways, um, let's talk about your book real quick. So I know so, you what? You didn't even talk about that at all? You even talking about I, yourself? I, I failed at that one. No. No. I failed um. <laughs> I failed at that one. So um I, I can talk about I can talk about this. So I read um, I read about I read one of your poems about marriage business. I forgot to tell you about that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. That That's made me laugh a lot. And, and and um there's a fellow so very good people in Nigeria who do um something called the Lagos Poetry Slam. A friend of mine, um his name is I haven't seen him in many years now, maybe ten, maybe more. Name is Effie Paul. A few years ago, I was I was living at a time in DC, and he reached out to me and said, "Do you want to have a have a thing I'm doing? Do you have a poem?" And I said, "Okay, I could give you this." And now I sort of every time people Google my name, it sort of comes up. <laughs> luckily, I, I luckily I, I don't write with my name anymore. So yeah, uh, but um, uh. <laughs> but um, but in this case, um, it's um, it's a collection of short stories by twelve people, and I was I happened to be one of them. In the story, in the book you mentioned, which is the best uh-huh. American, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the best debut short stories of 2019. Yeah. I haven't have a story in it. So the Pan America best debut short stories of 2019. So before you even tell us a little bit about your book, like did they like call for submissions or how did they shortlist the number of people they had here? So how it works is, and this is me just sort of. So I have to also say I, I'm sort of a hopeless eavesdropper. So I listen to people's conversations. That's not a business of mine, and I and I use it all the time. But um, so how it works that I know of is you write. So not to bore people who listen to this with sort of literary jargonese, but you write a story. You sort of try to publish it. You sort of send it to literary journals, mostly academic literary journals. So that are journals that have some kind of affiliation with a university. That's the easiest way to get it published. Mm. Hello. Yeah. So so um so I I wrote that story. Partly because um, I was sort of you know homesick, and I was I was remembering my childhood, and so um, I tried to get it published. I sort of you submit it, and you get so many rejections because nobody wants to. Maybe because the story is not good sometimes, maybe because it's not interesting enough, or just because it's not the right audience. So I, I kept yeah. submitting the story wow. until it got um, it got accepted in some. There's a journal out of Atlanta. It's called the Urban Avenue, Urban Avenue. It's a, it's a literary journal that's based in Atlanta. And so I sent the story out to them, and there's um, the wonderful guy who runs. I, I think he runs it, but he's the editor, editor, editor in chief of the of the journal. I said, okay, we're going to publish this story, and we like it. And so 
when they say that to you, they take a few months, you know, they have to make edits and yeah, you okay. go back and forth with edits. And so he said he was going to publish it. And so, so I was sort of thrilled. And so what they do is when they publish it, you know, it's, in this case of Urban Avenue, it's online also. Mm. But then Pan America runs something called the Robert J. Dow Prize, which is a prize for short stories every year. So what they do is they ask for invitations. They say they reach out to literary magazines and journals and say, we are running this program, send us your best. It has to be a debut, so the person's first story. Mm-hmm. Nice. So send us a first story and then we, it's like a competition. They have guest judges who are sort of acclaimed um, 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 authors themselves who read their stories and then judge from it. So in my case, um, Urban Avenue submitted my story to to the prize and the prize i have to also mention is sort of funded generously by by the robert j dow family and and, and um there's a woman called them um, whom i met I, I got an invitation from her and i met her in um, northern michigan okay. i went for the Hemingway conference ba- oh nice from their recommendation so I, I met her there and her family gives a very sort of generous generous sum for the story to each person who gets published anyway but um so the so the literary journal where I, my story got published in submitted my story, and um, I could be wrong in this, but I think out of 188 people, they picked 12 stories from that wow. to publish. And so I so that's how my story got into the collection. And so you sit down one day and um, so, and obviously this came out in in August, but you sit down someday in like in early February, late March, early February early February, sort of middle March, whatever, you get an email from the president of Pen America and, this, and they tell you, oh, by the way, this journal submitted your work and you just won the prize. And it's like, okay, wait, what's going on? It's like a, wow. it's like a kid in a candy store. And so, yeah. yeah after so after whatever number of rejections you had, just it's, yeah, it must yeah. feel getting some validation that, okay, I found the right audience and, you know, and the right place like, to publish my work. Yeah, validation is always good. I mean, I, I can talk about validation. It's as writers, I can imagine. <laughs> because, I, I mean, not just as writers, Niger, as Nigerians that we are, it's, I mean, I can speak for myself, I know, but, but, but where we are from, this is not a viable, sort of viable career path to take. Yeah. So, you, know, you want to be a writer, okay, that's nice. I mean, if, if I'm being very practical, like my mom, would, my mom said to you, okay, but you know, you have to eat. Like, you know, like you, you have to pay your bills. You have to, mm. you know, do things like, you know, take a trip, be able to afford a trip. And so it's not very viable. But when you get sort of small affirmations like this, it makes you feel very good. It makes you feel very, very good. Um, a few years ago, I, I wrote something, I wrote, I, I submitted for something called the Commonwealth Short Story Prize, which I didn't win. I only got shortlisted. But but that was them. Um, that was the that's first time good. I felt. Yeah, yeah. That was the first time. I, that's that that's equally intense because they pick stories from the whole of the Commonwealth. So every, so from India to oh, um, forget Pakistan. India alone is like yeah, a whole continent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to Pakistan. And then I got shortlisted, and I felt I felt very giddy about it. But yeah, um, yeah. So so for me, it's it's been um. It's, I mean, it, it makes you feel good, like, okay, this is something that's going well, or maybe I can make a life for this. And I have to say, I mean, anybody who's listened to your podcast now would, would know, probably knows who Chimamanda is. I mean, and for, for, for many people who are younger than she is, I think she, she's like sort of the one who you, who, who you can say to yourself, no, this person has made it a viable thing. And so, yeah, yeah so you just think, okay, you can make it viable, you can somehow write stories that people will find interesting or at least be interested in you 
based on your story. So yeah. that's how that's that's the genesis of how I got into um how, how my story got into the collection. And, and and it's been good. And, and since then, I mean this year has been sort of very good to me. Since then I have um I've gotten some like grant money from from places that support artists and so I've gotten grant money and yeah. um yeah and, and um yeah and, and I have like two more stories come I have one coming out in November which is going to be at the something called this I think I mentioned that you mentioned that earlier it's um the Southampton Review which is which is a literary journal for the State University of New York so SUNY's literary journal is called the Southampton so I have a story coming out there and I have another one coming out on Prairie Stoner which is from the University of Nebraska so so it's been um it's been um it's it's been sort of it's it's been very rewarding and I feel sort of I feel I feel giddy many times a day when I think about it. Thank you for that. That was really neatly um, put, and um, I do wish you the best with the remaining poems you have coming. Oh, sorry, the remaining stories you have, and I think the only way up, uh, the only way, the only way uh, up is up. I think was that word. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Next step is up. Yeah, enough. yeah. <laughs> um, so your your story, um, Good Hope, and it's on page one hundred and twenty-one, and I'm going to include a link for people to go buy the book it's available on amazon i think it's about when i got it was like maybe 14 or 12 dollars there about but um i think it should be less now because yeah probably should be yeah because they they do this every year um yeah they do this every year so i read it i mean it wasn't it's a short story and there's some things that stood out for me and so i I had some questions for you and i wanted to just talk about that very quickly um so my overall impression about it it made me a bit nostalgic because of some things you really talked about like you know even if you didn't have older people, like if you didn't have like older siblings growing up, you knew of somebody who was either affected by immigration issues. So you knew about an uncle or auntie or somebody like your neighbor that got stuck somewhere in, in America or the UK trying to see greener pastures. And I think that was just the um, premise behind JV's story. And um, so I was just curious to know, did this is this something that was born out of your personal experience? Is JV... Um, closely related to somebody you knew or someone that's family and that's my first question and the second question is what I mean are we allowed to know I'm curious to know really what happened to him did he ever make it to Houston did he ever just make it to make it home you know in a home in the sense of somewhere more holistic where he could you know just be the best version of himself well um, to your first question I so, as a general sort of, I don't know, mind thing, I never write about myself. Not because uh-huh. I, I, I cannot, I cannot, but I, like I said to you earlier, I, no, I, I, I had a pretty much sort of interestingly boring life, middle class Nigerian life. I and mean, nothing sort of, I mean, nothing happened to me that's sort of exceptional. So, I, I had a middle class life. I never write about myself for that reason. For the reason being that um, a kind of self preservation sets in. Mm. at least for me so you say to yourself do I want to tell people about that because not because it's a terrible thing or it's a good thing but it's just because when I share an experience not me now but when a person shares an experience with other people it ceases to be your experience anymore it's now become it becomes a shared experience it's our thing so we know what happened about this and mm. so for me it's just I, I sort of I sort of hold back and I'm not going to talk I mean that's sort of any interest of people I, and my life is pretty boring so no so to the question of if, if this is about anybody, if it's about my personal, uh, my family or anybody, no. 
but if the question is, I mean, if if sort of a follow up question is, do I know people who've lived like this, which is a follow up question. I, I think yes. I mean, I I grew up in Lagos, and you know we would sort of go on holidays and come back, and every time we came back, there were always like sort of people. I don't know how it is now. I, I'm not a child in Lagos now, so I think it's probably different because it's the internet. But at yeah. the time, you, people would tell you about, oh, my uncle went to went to England, and he's never come back. He doesn't write. I mean, sometimes it's also because maybe they can't afford to, or it's very hard to come back on immigration issues. Yeah. But other times, some people just cut you off. Mm. And I knew of people like that. I mean, in my own life, certain people have, um, certain people presented themselves that way to my, to me as, uh, to my childhood understanding. They sort of just disappear. Because I remember, I mean, we would hear stories, my mom would talk about stories. Oh, this person is in America. And then when you, or, or, is, in, or is in London, when you reach out to the person, the person consciously doesn't want to be reached out to. Yeah, and so I knew people like that, and I think it still happens now. But I think it's now it's slightly different because there is the internet. You can Google your uncle who your uncle who's lived in mm-hmm. your uncle who's lived in who's lived in New Jersey since the eighties and doesn't write you back. If you Google him, you can find him. Mm. Maybe because white pages list his address or something funny like that. But you can find him, or if you don't find him, you can find maybe people who sort of put a picture of him up on the internet. Or you know, sort of you know how people have maybe parties. And look into maybe the party of your cousin. You see, that's my uncle from 2001. I haven't seen him since then. That sort of thing. So now it's now it's not so difficult. And I, and I knew people also. I have to say, growing up in Lagos, whose whose parents and I, my parents. It's mostly the fathers who left. I don't know how it works now, but mostly the fathers who maybe went to Germany, went to America, went to um, England, and they just sort of, in, to put it very plainly, they disappeared. Like nobody knows where they where they are. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows if they're if they're fine. Um, a, a funny sort of backstory. A few months a few months ago, there was this doing the whole time about the um, immigration thing here in the U.S. Uh, was all over the internet, and somebody I, I saw a screenshot of somebody who said you know was saying, "Oh, dear American immigration." My uncle mentioned the name, lives in, mentioned the address. In oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen I haven't that. seen him for years, but he, just so you know, he doesn't have his papers. You know, like, hey. I mean, you couldn't do that in, in 1997, for instance, if you had an uncle in But now, it's sort of, I mean, and I'm, I don't know the intent of the person who did that, but I think it was sort of put out in jest. And so you can say, and that wasn't just one, there were many people who sort of said, oh, my uncle. And he lives in this, and I haven't seen him since 2001. I haven't seen him since 1972. You know, go find him in that address. So that, that sort of thing. I, I knew people like that. Oh, I, oh, I heard. Like I said, I, I eavesdrop a lot, which is, I don't know if it's a good habit, but yeah. So I knew people like that. <laughs> that's when you get a lot of your substance for your material, like materials for your work. <laughs> yeah, I constantly mind people's life for my, for my story material. I, I mean, I don't like to do it very much, but um, when I go to like Nigerian parties, I mean, older Nigerian people's parties, like people like our parents' generation, that's all I'm there for. I mean, I'm there for the food too, but I'm really there just to listen to all the things they're saying because the moment you walk in, in the table like a random person and someone says, oh, look at that one. She came here in 2000 and this and, you know, she's not married or she's married or look at him. He has four children and yeah. he cannot keep his children together. Oh, look at that one. She has a master's degree and... And you know, I don't know. Her husband has a, I don't know, an associate degree. Something like. I mean, you listen to so many, so many stories, and it's very, it's a very rich place to get all people's stories, and then you, you sort of mine it for your own material. 
but but that's to answer the first question. Um, I knew people like that. I, as a boy, I knew people whose parents lived abroad, people whose uncles lived abroad, and nobody just knew where they were. They sort of came into the country got, and they uh, disappeared. And they got sucked they, in. Yeah. yeah, they just sucked in and, and <laughs> trying to lay low. And it's interesting <laughs> because yeah, sometimes yeah, but sometimes also it's just they don't want to keep in touch anymore. Uh. They don't want to. My 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 mom. So I have a great uncle. My mom's uncle who lives. Now he's deceased. Who lived in France at the time? I mean, we just knew my uncle. My mom's uncle lived in France, and he wasn't trying to lay low. Just didn't want to keep in touch with anybody again. And I remember a few years ago, he he passed, and they wanted to. You no, know, my mom's family wanted to bring back his body and bury him in in Nigeria. Uh. But he admired a French woman. And he had like French children, so his children were like, "No, we're not bringing him back for anything. He's from here," and he didn't want to keep in touch with anybody. So why are we going to bring his body back? Which. I mean, if you look at it from a very pragmatic point of view, well, it's their father. They get to decide what they want to do with him. But then there's also the cultural and drum pull of, no, bring him back to us to bury him here. Like, you can't bury him. It's just a very common phrase among, like, sort of, at least Igbo people is, you can't bury him in the snow. Like, bring him back. But no, my uncle, my, my, my mom's uncle was buried in France, wherever he lived. And to be fair to you, I don't even know where he lived. Like, he consciously didn't want to keep touch with anybody at all. So, mm-hmm. so, so, so that sort of thing. So it's not always sort of. I mean, some of them lay low because of you know, immigration issues. Some people yeah. just, some people just, um, some people when they leave home, home being Muslim, Nigeria, that's what I know. When they leave home, they take up new identities, and so new identities also means that the me you knew when I was in Nigeria, that's not me anymore. I don't want to keep in touch with people, or I don't want to keep in touch with you guys anymore. So it's it's a very rampant thing in Nigeria, or at least for people when I was growing up, it's like. Oh no! My my family members would come and visit here. My mom has, this is not in any way related to what I remember. My mom has sort of people she would talk about. Oh, but when we were in DC, we saw him, but he didn't want to say hello to us, and he just uh. he didn't know who we were. And so, 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 so that's the answer to the question, the first question. Now the second question: um, yeah. What happened to JV? Really? I, yes. I, I think what happened to JV is what happens to, um. What happens to all of us, though? We we oh. always want to sort of think about our life as sort of this very linear thing. Like you wake up, you brush, your, you wash your teeth, and you you put on your clean clothes, and you go to work, or you do whatever you have to do for a living. But the truth is that that's not how it happens, though. And for so and for so and for, and for, for so many people, when they come here, there is no going back. Going back mean meaning maybe going back to Nigeria. Or going back to what they used to have, and so in the case of this story, it's just a—I think it's just a ploy by me to say to the reader, "You can draw your own conclusions." And so, I, in many ways, I—I I guess my sort of unfair answer to your question is, "I don't know. I, I don't know." So, but you but, wrote the book. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but then the issue okay. becomes like, what do you want it to be? Do you, as the reader, want him to go back to Nigeria? And if you want to, that's fine. Uh, you just sound like Arl Stein. There's never an ending to his book. You choose your ending. If the person wants him to go back to Houston, for instance, that's fine that he goes back to Houston. But you also have to ask yourself, I mean, not to give away the story, but, but the nephew in the story who, who finds his uncle, he's going to have his own family too. So he, he, his uncle can't even live with him. No, I can't. I mean, I mean, because, like, you know, 
family, how families work now. You can't sort of have your uncle living with your children and your spouse. It's just Uh-oh. too much work. So, so, so you draw your own constitutions. I'll let you decide. If you um, wanted to go back to Lagos or Nigeria, then he goes back. You could have, but thank you, you could for have saying spoken. something about, uh, you about could, you could have spoken less than <laughs> you could have if you if you if you tried so hard, you could have spoken more more like a writer right now than you just did. But I, I, I see I, I know what you mean. We can the conclusion can be anywhere. Sometimes life doesn't want to have that conclusion. It's still an yeah, ongoing spectrum, you know, it's a continuous loop. Um yeah, so yeah. you guys go read the book. It was very nostalgic for me. If you grew up in the eighties or in the nineties, whatever spectrum you fall in between then. Um, some of the things that like you see on TV, like ads for like you know Benson and Hedges and you know all of that, but in, you know all in all, it evokes something in you, and you remember that sometimes people. I'm sure if you have if you if you've had a personal experience of a family member that moved here or traveled left the country and never just communicated with you, perhaps you can have an idea of just some of the things that might be going through. And in that short story, that was what um, I don't know if that was um, Kenneth's intention, but. That was what I got out of it. And you know how they say art is very subjective? You could read it and get something else. But go read the book. I'm going to post a link on it. Um, Kenneth, it's been very nice talking to you on the show. I feel like you're someone I could talk to all day long and I get tired. Like, we have a, a lot of stuff to talk about. But I do appreciate your time and you know, just bringing your story and all of that on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and thank you for, for, for mentioning the point about nostalgia. I think I was. Um, I was trying to get that. So I was trying to get the issue of nostalgia. I, you know, I was, I, I, I was born in the nineties, and so I, I, I remember my childhood very much. And sometimes I miss my childhood. So if, if, if in some way this story sort of helps bring any kind of nostalgia to you, that's, that's very kind of you to say. Thank okay. you. Wait, what's that thing you pray for writers that the muse never goes away, or she, you, she hopefully, from hopefully, stress to a wife. I don't know whichever direction one had to go. Because <laughs> yes. I once said, my, I told my friend, do you want, do, should I pray that the muse becomes your wife? She's like, no, mistress is way more um, interesting. And this person is married, by the way. So you can tell what the view about marriage, what their view about marriage is. But my anyways, <laughs> this has been the talk with my friend, um, Kenneth. Um, where can people find you? Do you want to be found? Like JV so- or not? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I can be found. Um, I... I hardly tweet, but I have a Twitter account. So um, I never tweet, but I always observe. I always okay. observe. I, I have a Twitter account. My Twitter account is Ken underscore Ibegwam. So my last name. So it's K E N underscore I B E G W A M. And I also have um, an Instagram account, but it doesn't. I mean, it's the same thing. So my Instagram yeah. account is just my last name I B E G W A M. Oh, I see. Instagram and. All I do is just look at people's photos. And, you're one of those people. And I, you and just, I cheer people you're on. You're like the ghost of the in the world. Like you see everything, <laughs> but you hardly comment. I, I cheer. I cheer people on instead. Yeah, yeah. So that's the both of the social media handles that I have. Yes. Okay, quickly before you go, who are you currently reading, and who is the most interesting person to you on Twitter right now? Um. So for who I'm cu- currently reading, I am reading um a book of short stories by the Pakistani American writer. The book is called In Other Rooms, Other Wonders. It's a book of short interlinked stories, and he is just remarkable. He got a Pulitzer Prize nomination, got a National nice. Book Award nomination, and What's a bunch of other nominations. His name is Daniel Miyunidin. So okay. he is Pakistani-American. His mother is American. His dad is pa- dad was Pakistani. He was born in, in Wisconsin, and he went to Ooh. fancy American schools. Used to be a lawyer, 
top New York law firm and quit everything and to go to MFA program. He went to the MFA program and then now he, now the interesting thing about him is after all of that stuff, he went to Dartmouth and all the good stuff and went to Yale. Now he's a, he, he runs a farm in Pakistan, in rural Pakistan. But he wrote this wonderful, wonderful book, which I think everyone, I hope your listeners should read. It's called In Other Rooms, Other Wonders by Danielle Miyunudin. Okay. Yeah, so that's what I'm reading right now. And who do I find interesting on Twitter? Um, um, I just have to open my Twitter now and look. Who do I find interesting? Someone called Yashar Ali. Okay. He, he I think he used to, he's a journalist and he tweets out like um, stuff about elephants, but yeah. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he works at the, so he, he's a journalist with the New York Magazine and the Huffington Post contributor. Okay. But I, I find him to be very interesting. He, a few months ago, he broke the internet about talking about t- towels and how many towels people should have in there. I think he said everyone should have 12 towels. Uh-oh. People thought he was ridiculous. It sounds like Monica <laughs> from yeah. Friends. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you yeah, watch so, Friends, but Monica yeah, 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 has yeah, off a yeah. guest and, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, so Yasha, I, I hope I pronounced his name well. Yeah, I think I said he has an elephant logo, right? And he's very fine. Yeah, yeah, he's very fine. Y-A-S-H-A-R, yeah. Yeah, Yasha, yeah. yeah. I think that's how I think his family is, I think his family is from, has an, I think they're Iranians by ancestry, but yeah, he, he, um, he, he, I find him to be very funny. When he talks about elephants, he just wins my heart. And I, he makes me sort of, once in a while, I'm like, okay, I'm going to donate to this elephant cause now because of your Charlie. Oh, really? I find him to be interested. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would consider interesting on Twitter. All right. Well, that was good to know. Thank you once more. And um, I guess I'll catch you on the other side of the conversation. All right, thank guys. You for, thank you so much for having me, Mo. It's been you're, a pleasure to talk to you. You're most welcome. Um, all right, guys. This has been the show with Kenneth. Don't forget to check out his um, book with the short stories. It's called the 2019 Pen America Best Table Short Stories. And um, his short story particularly is on page 121. You can read the others. I haven't read a lot of them, but you know, I'm going to read the others. Um, and I'll post a link to that as well. If you love the show or or not, just let me know. Leave a comment or two. And um, I guess I'll catch you guys on another episode of the show. I remain your host, Mosimo. All right, Kenneth, I got to run now. But thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. <laughs> All right. And enjoy your um, the rest of your weekend. And I'll chat with you later. And you keep on keeping on. Thank you. Aww. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's so high school. Keep on keeping on. But I will. And you too. You do that as well. <laughs> bye-bye. All right. Bye. Hey listeners, this has been another episode of the Marcible Podcast. What do you think about today's episode? Do you have a question or feedback you'd love to provide? A suggestion for a future guest? We always love to get your feedback, so please do drop us a line via Instagram at Marcible or email us at talktomo at marcible.com. Your suggestion might just end up being featured on a future episode of the podcast. We cannot wait to hear back from you. Do visit our official website at www.mosibo.com. That is www.mosibyl.com, where you can find our entire back catalog of episodes and amazing guests. Also, if you haven't already, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Leave us a rating or review as this helps us tremendously in growing this podcast and reaching more amazing listeners like you. We always appreciate your support. Thank you for always listening.